You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning. It is good to be back with you again last week. Pastor Roger filled in, and I appreciate him doing that. And he's going to be back in a couple more weeks uh, in mid-October. We've got one more trip planned for our family to go this time go south to Texas and see George. So he'll be back again. But I appreciate him ministering while we're absent there. Last week we were at uh, we were worshiping last week with brothers and sisters in the Lord in Allen's Park, Colorado. Allen's Park has. I think one street through Allen's Park. There's some cabins up there, but it's kind of up in the mountains west of like, what is it, Greeley, Fort Collins, Longmont. There's Long's Peak up there. Just a beautiful place. But here in a pizza shop of all places, in a little room, there's a little Wind River Reform Church in their meeting, and there's a seminary friend of mine that preaches there. So it was good to be with other brothers and sisters. And they're gathering, they gather at 9, I think it was 9 o'clock, so we're pretty close on time-wise with the dates of when they're gathering. But anyway, but good to be back, good to return, and so we come back to God's Word. We're back in Romans this week. If you want to head there to Romans 13, verse 8 in particular, I do believe I've got a picture up there. I had two from a couple weeks ago. This one came from Owen. So thank you, Owen, for this picture. Here's Owen's take as we were working through chapter 12. And here's Paul sitting down, he's got his lamp there, and he's writing the book of Romans. I don't know if Paul had a cup of coffee, I usually got to have a cup of coffee while I'm writing, but who knows what Paul had, but Owen's got the picture there of this letter written from Paul, probably in Corinth, to the people in Rome. And so we are over midway through this book, and we're really in the practical portion of Romans, so thank you, Owen, for that picture. And we're in this practical area of just here's the results, here's the outflow of the gospel in our lives. And so we come to Romans 13, verses just 8 through 10, a really small section this morning for us to hear God's word. Let's listen to it. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's pray once again. Lord, you are our hope in life and death, no matter what no matter what trials should come, no matter where we're at. Lord, you have proved, as was read even from 1 John, proved that love on the cross. And now there's a call here in what we're reading, to love others. For some, this is maybe easy. Some, people, some in our lives are very easy to love, and others, not so much. So I just pray, Lord, that as we study this short section, you would use it to transform our lives, that our lives would look differently based upon what we think on. In these next minutes together, what we study from your word, what your spirit impresses to our hearts, may we live it out in our homes, wherever those homes, wherever those workplaces, those schools, 
the functions, the, the parties, whatever, that we would live out what you're calling us to do here. So guide us in the study of it by your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The call of these three verses before us, again, it's not, very, it's not hard to miss or mistake what Paul's after here. Uh, you don't know, need to know the Greek or the Hebrew here, in this case, the Greek. You don't need to know it to figure out what Paul is asking, what he's wanting you to do, or wanting the readers in Rome and then us as the greater church to do and to think on. So Paul and God, God really, using Paul to write God's words, he sends us a command. Love one another, or you've got a variation there, love your neighbor. But though it is not at all hard to understand, again, like these other commandments we've seen in chapters 12 and 13, sometimes it's hard to do. We can understand this, but it's the doing of it. And I would say even it's impossible to do without a transforming work of God on our heart. So we're going to get to that in a bit, but we just want to work through the verses, think on them a little bit verse by verse here. So verse 8, let's head back here. Listen to the first verse again. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. It might seem like Paul is on to a new subject of love after verses 1 through 7, if you can remember back, we were talking about the governing authorities and submitting their God's servant for your good. We talked about that, sort of the spheres, if you remember all that. And then there's verse 8 here with its call, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. But it's actually tied. If you look back at verse 7, you've got their phrases like, Pay to all what is owed to them. So you've got, if you owe taxes, pay them. Revenue, respect, honor, and so forth. And so there's this owing and then tied into, coming to verse 8, owe no one anything except to love one another. Literally, it says, to no one, let's see, to no one nothing owe, if not one another to love. It's, it's Paul's admonition here, verse 7, pay what one is owed and he takes it to another level, another plane. And the owing is not any, it's not money anymore, it's, it's love. I don't think Paul's intention with this phrase here, owe no one anything except to love each other, I don't think his uh, intention is to address debt-free living per se, you know, or, or never taking out a loan. I think Paul's using owe here, it's a figure of speech, and it brings to mind this image of debt of debt that is owed, a debt to someone, to owe someone, to give, to give weight really to the image of what it means to love each other, to love another. So perhaps maybe there's an echo, and we'll look at this a little later, 1 Corinthians 13. We read about faith and hope and love, and then what does Paul say there? Is that the greatest of these is love. So if you owe the taxes and the respect and the honor, yes, but the biggest debt to be paid to others is to love them. Have you ever thought about loving others as what you owe to others? Paul gets specific here, what you will owe your neighbor. And we may tend to think, a sermon on love, that's a great idea. I'll, I sh- I'll mark that down. It's something to get to in my life. I, I should get around to that. That's not the emphasis here. It's to love. It's not to get around to it. God says here, do it today. And love is what you owe 
to others. There's not a qualification here. There's not a, you know, love someone, accept so-and-so. There's not wiggle run. If it's no, oh, no one anything except to love them. But then we've got that other phrase of verse 8, the fulfilling of the law. And we might ask what Paul, what does he mean by that, that love fulfills the law? And the idea of fulfilling can mean a couple things here. It can mean to bring to a designed end, like fulfill a prophecy or an obligation, a promise, a law. Another meaning can be to bring to completion that which was already begun, to complete or finish. And I think here we inch closer to this tie of the law and thinking Ten Commandments, we'll see that in verse 9, and love. What's this tie between the love, commandments, and love, law and love? And so Paul says that loving others actually fulfills the law. And don't take this, I don't think Paul's meaning at all, this means fulfillment in terms of an, an obedience that merits righteousness. If you love, then you are declared righteous. That he spent more than half the book saying, Our righteousness is imputed to us by Christ. We are righteous on behalf of Him who died for us and who's raised to life. That's our justification. But I think it's fulfillment in terms of living out the intent of the law. Listen to Galatians chapter 5. These are verses 13 and 14. Paul says there, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Okay, not to called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So it's not just a theme in Romans 13 for Paul. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So live in love. Let love define how you act. Paul's going to continue to expand help give us a picture of what he means. But by the end of verse 10, he's going to come back to this idea of love, again, in the fulfilling of the law. It's both places. For now, in this verse, I want you to head to 1 John 3. Actually, head to the back of your Bibles. It's going to be one of three stops. We've got three points going through verse 8, 9, 10. I want to stop at three other places on our way just to expand, help us understand, let Scripture really speak to this idea of loving here. Loving, fulfilling the law, loving each other. If you look at 1 John 3, I just want to read just a couple of readings. There could be more in other places. Um, verse 14, let me just read a longer section through 24 there. You've got it before you. Listen to John and how he brings up love here. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he, this Christ, he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God's greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. 
And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. So loving others, it's uniquely tied to being in Christ and to our our claim as being in Christ. And so we need to hear John's teaching here in 1 John, this letter, and therefore hear God's teaching, their words of warning to consider how you love others. Love is the characteristic that defines those who are of God. And we see this clearly as we, just to go back, where Milt just was in 1 John 4, look at verse 18 over there. Again, there's no fear in love, verse 18, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Here it is. If anyone says, I love God, here's here's the warning, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see the seriousness of the call of both John and then Paul in Romans 13. John here ties the love of God to loving others, and there's a challenge. If you say you love God, you say that, I love God. It ought to show up in horizontal relationship to others. Or to say it another way, either way is convicting, your, your love for others, it's a, it's a barometer. How you love others, it's an indicator of your love for God. How am I loving God? John, John Paul as well, look at how you love others. How would others even interpret God's love through the way that you treat them? And there is the conviction. How are they going to see God's love through how you treat others? All right, let's head back to Romans 13. Paul calls the Romans to love, love each other. Love fulfills the law. Verse 9 then helps us aim more at what Paul means by this love fulfilling the law. Look at verse 9 back in Romans 13. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul connects law to the commandments in this arena of love. Perhaps before you've heard the Ten Commandments divided, the Sometimes scholars, whatever, others will talk about the the two tables of the law, the Ten Commandments, the two tables. Some divide them differently. I think a common distinction is made. There's the first uh, four commandments. You shall have no other gods before you. You shall not make a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath. The first four, kind of called the first table of the law. These are more vertical. No other gods. Don't take his name in vain. But make an image, they're, they're vertical Godward type commands. So that's the first table. The second, commands 5 through 10, they still involve the Lord, but they're more horizontal. So you've got 1 through 4 thinking these vertical commands, 5 through 10 more horizontal, but they're not, they're not godless. They're still honoring God. They're just lived out amongst others, like honor your father and mother, or do not murder, or 
adultery, and so forth. Matt Marino, he explains, he says, The first table regards those duties which we owe God directly. The second table, 5 through 10 if you think of them that way, regards those duties which we owe God indirectly. That is, through how we treat our fellow human beings. Now listen to what he goes on to say. Just as man is about God, so does our treatment of man speak volumes about our ultimate object of worship. How we treat the image of God, that is fellow man, how we treat the image of God says something about how we treat the essence of God. The fruit of our morality will not fall far from the tree of our worship. I like how he said that. Let me read it again. The fruit of our morality will not fall far from the tree of our worship, and both will flow from the root of our understanding of the essence of God. Do you get what he's saying here? The way you live out commandments 5 through 10, it reflects your understanding of and your love for God himself. So our horizontal relationships are affected by our vertical relationship with God. And we see this, we see it in 1 John. I think it's been said, I've heard it said before, if you get the first commandment right, thou shalt have no other gods before me. If you get that right, the other commandments will follow from that. Or, pick up on Jesus' words in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself that's now where we're at on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets that's the entire the old testament have you ever considered the 10 commandments to be summarized with the word love or maybe you've always thought of them just as just i got to do this or don't don't do this thou shalt not and there are all these nots and don'ts and This takes it to this level of love. These commandments are about love. Now, they do show us us how far from God we are. They show us our sin. They speak to us. They convict and lead us where? To the God who is love, to the cross, where Jesus took on the punishment, the wrath of God, in love, in our place, that all who look to him, all who believe in him, are saved and you're reconciled to God. He loves We love because he first loved us. So the summary of these commandments is love, and Paul says as much in verse 9. And so Paul finds the commandments. He finds them summarized in that that last phrase there, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's called the royal law in James 2, verse 8, and it's a summary here in verse 9. But before we get to the neighbor... You shall love your neighbor. Might be wondering, who is my neighbor? Hello, neighbor. <laughs> Esther's been watching a lot of Mr. Rogers, so we are in the neighborhood. So, uh, but before we get to the neighbor, there's this idea about loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus himself says the same. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I want to think on that just a bit. John Piper is going to help us because he explains this. It says, Jesus says in effect, so you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says in effect, you love yourselves. This is a given. I don't command it, I assume it. 
All of you have a powerful instinct of self-preservation and self-fulfillment. You all want to be happy. You all want to live and to live with satisfaction. You want food for yourself. You want clothes for yourself. All this is self-love. Self-love is the deep longing to diminish pain and to increase happiness. Piper goes on to say, this was the defining human trait before the fall of man into sin. And it's not evil in itself. Whether it has become evil in your life, that is, love for yourself, whether it's become evil in your life will be exposed as you hear and respond to Jesus' commandment. He commands, as you love yourself, so love your neighbor, which means as you long for food when you're hungry, so long to feed your neighbor when he is hungry. As you would that men would do to you, do so to them. In other words, make yourself seeking the measure of yourself giving. If you're energetic in pursuing your own happiness, be energetic in pursuing the happiness of your neighbor. So Paul here, he's not advocating for more love to ourselves. We already have that. But he's considering our own self-love and the lengths we go to for our own self, how much we love ourselves and the happiness, and say, take that in that way, love your neighbor that way. Which, as Piper points out, can be quite overwhelming and a threat to my own self-love. You know, how do I love? Now I'm going to have to share and I've got to love others. And I, what about me? But then he says, I think that is exactly the threat that Jesus wants us to feel until we realize that, he goes on to say, the first commandment, love the Lord your God, the first commandment is the basis of the second commandment. Before you make your own self-seeking the measure of your self-giving, make God the focus of your self-seeking. This is the point of the first commandment. Again, love of neighbor is this outflow of love the Lord your God. That takes self-love to say, I can't get enough happiness in, in myself. It's in the Lord. It's looking to the Lord for everything. Piper's encouraging us, go there. Look there. He is what we need for ultimate happiness. Every other thing, every other joy, get your finances fixed, get this thing fixed, get your food fixed, everything, it's temporary. It doesn't last. The Lord is eternal. His pleasures are are eternal. Love the Lord your God. And that object of worship then affects this love for others. But again, back to our question. Perhaps we have the same question of the lawyer in Luke chapter 10. And he asked there, it's a passage the Collins guys helped us go through just a couple weeks ago as they were talking about Jamaica. If we are to love our neighbor, then the question is, who exactly is my neighbor? Neighbor, Would you look at Luke 10 briefly? This is our second stop of places we want to look at. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We're going to read this, this question and this lawyer with Jesus and then read Jesus' response. Luke chapter 10, it's verse 25. You've heard it. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. You've, kind of, you've heard that before. We're thinking of it in this terms of neighbor and love your neighbor. So verse 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Christ, to the test, saying, Teacher, 
What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he, verse 29, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Listen to the reply of Jesus. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more, uh, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. As with most questions to Jesus, the lawyer does not get a direct answer like, oh, you're wondering who your neighbor is? Well, your neighbor lives within five miles of you. That's, that's who your neighbor is. Beyond that, don't worry about it. You're off the hook. It's just five or maybe a mile or your block, but the next block over, that's not or you know, whatever. That, that's not Jesus' answer here. Jesus doesn't answer that way. So Piper writes again on Jesus, his non-answer to the lawyer. He says this, Jesus not, does not give an answer to his question, who is my neighbor? Instead, he says in effect, go become a new kind of person. Go get a compassionate heart. This is exactly what Jesus died for. This is the promise of the new covenant in Ezekiel 36, 26. And that's where God says, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. Piper goes on. Those who follow Jesus all the way to the cross will see him there paying for their new heart with his own blood. Another commentator puts it this way. Jesus does not supply information as to whom one should help. Failure to keep the commandment springs not from lack of information, but from lack of love. It was not fresh knowledge that the lawyer needed but a new heart. In plain English, conversion. You find yourself asking, Why? yeah, okay, love your neighbor. Who, who would that be? Who is my neighbor? Perhaps the question comes from just a limited view towards loving God where we just simply seek to do the bare minimum. What's the bare minimum? What, what kind of love can I do where it's just it's enough to get by? It's enough to satisfy God, but it's not going to wear me out. What, kind of, what do I got to do? I think the point here, what we've read, this passage, these quotes, is that loving God and finding, again, our joy, our peace, our ultimate happiness in God frees us to love. It transforms us to love all sorts of others, all sorts of neighbors, wherever they be. And so with such a vertical love for God, we live out this horizontal aspect of loving others. All right, let's head back to verse 
10 in Romans 13, our last verse here. Chapter 13, 10. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. John Murray points out, he's pointing out something out from verse 9, but I think it applies here, and it deals with this, this negative way that Paul puts it. Love does no wrong. It's very negative. Love doesn't do wrong. And so it seems like a negative, maybe a negative way for Paul to conclude this. Here's what Murray says. He says it's, it's often pleaded that ethics should not be negative but positive. I think what he's saying there is, boy, all those thou shalt nots, you know, let's just change them, make them positive. I mean, it's kind of dark. It's negative. Don't murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit. They're also negative. Let's make them positive. Here's what Murray says. He says, it's often pleaded that ethics should not be negative but positive. He says, the plea is unrealistic. That plea. Let's just make it positive. He says, it overlooks the fact of sin. It's because God's law is realistic that eight of the Ten Commandments are negative and one other as a negative element. God's law must be negative of sin. goes on to say, truth is negative of error, right of wrong, righteousness of iniquity. The gospel is good news because it is, first of all, salvation from sin. Even love itself is negative. It worketh no ill to his neighbor to quote from verse 10. Back in Romans 7, we looked at this battle of the mind, the battle within the remaining issue of our sin nature, and yet our new nature in Christ, redeemed in Him. We've got the victory in Christ, and yet there's this remaining sin. And so we need both this positive command to love God and so love others, but we also need the negative command. Don't do that. Does that wrong your neighbor? Don't wrong your neighbor. Don't do that. So love does no wrong to a neighbor. And once again, Paul states at the end, at least in the ESV, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Loving one's neighbor not only sums up the law, it fulfills the law. John Murray, again, he, he says this. He says, love, help, help us understand. How, what do you mean fulfills the law? He says, love gives to the law the full measure of its demand. The law looked upon as something to be filled, is filled to the brim by love. It's not as if something other than love does part of the filling up and then love enters to complete the process, but that love does all of the filling. From beginning to end, it is love that fills. And so in this sense, it is with or by love that the law is filled. So this call to love here by Paul, it's enabled by Christ's love towards us on the cross that we might be saved and transformed to then love one another, to love our neighbor. As we close, I've got one more place for us to go. Maybe you can guess, but it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We saw briefly, as we looked at love in 1 John, a definition. John says there, by this we know love, that he, that is Jesus, laid down his life for us. So we're to love as Jesus has loved us, that kind of love. 
And I think in addition to that, helpfully, Paul shows us, or maybe shows us even, this is describing even the love Jesus has for us ought to be our love. And so Paul gives us this powerful tool. 1 Corinthians 13, am I being loving? This is just the go-to chapter, probably said it before. Am I loving? Where, where am I wrong in this? Or maybe if you're trying to sort out a conflict and you go, I think I'm right. I think I'm right about everything that's going on in this conflict. Head to 1 Corinthians 13 and just read it and see if you're not convicted on some aspect of your own fault in that conflict. But it's a powerful tool to really gauge our love for our neighbor. So I just want to read the first seven verses. Listen to this and then listen to it towards your own heart. Listen to the the factor that love plays. If I speak, Paul begins, in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I've got all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, endures all things. Are you struggling to love others or struggling to love your neighbor? Consider first today, consider your relationship to God. Do you know Him? Do you love Him? You first see your own sin as greater than the sin of your neighbor or what they have done. There's a story, I'll get it wrong, but someone had come to a pastor at some point and said, Pastor, these folks, they're, they're saying these awful things about you. They're saying you're this and you're that. And the pastor said, oh, oh no, no, they don't, they don't understand. They don't understand the half of it. What he was saying is, I am far worse than whatever they think. It's a powerful way, I think, a powerful way for us to think about our own sin. We're so far from God's holiness. Just heard a good sermon on the road even about Isaiah 6 and God's holiness and our sinfulness. And When we see that and then we see in light of this sin, this love that dies for a sinner like me, it ought to infuse our love for our neighbor. To not be like that, that one whose debts were all forgiven, then he went and, you know, here you owe me this. You owe me these couple dollars, whatever. Consider your relationship to God. Consider the cross of Christ and that love demonstrated there. And have you been even born again? Just ask you today, are you trusting in Christ to save you, to give you this new heart and mind to then love? And so with Paul, the call, fulfill the law, the commandments. Fulfill it. How? Live a life of love toward your neighbor for the glory of the one, the object of your love, who is the Lord. May the Lord help us. Let me pray. Father, it's your help we need. And just thinking, Lord, of your 
your grace that trains us for godliness, your grace brings along people that are hard to love. Perhaps we would categorize, oh, they're unlovable, can't love them. Well, we can't, Lord, but with your power, by your spirit, by renewed life, by looking to you, we can. And the barometer is, if we're not, then where are we at with you? Lord, all of us here, including the pastor, fail so often at this, what is a simple to understand idea, to love. So Lord, help us. We need your help. We need your spirit. Transform our minds. Lord, move us away from such a self-preservation It says life is about me to, to first, Lord, love you, to obey the first commandment with a new heart that we can now. We can love you. We can adore you. We can worship you. And may that flow out in our relationships with others. And Lord, where those relationships where we've failed, where we've not loved as we ought, then Lord, praise the Lord. There is forgiveness. For if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us. And you cleanse our hearts. You purify us from all unrighteousness because of Christ. Lord, may we live a life of love for your glory. Listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota. 